Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Welcome to the Fight Back podcast. Today I'm here with Erin Hurley. Erin is a BJJ black belt and a huge mental health advocate. She's the founder of a hashtag and program called Submit the Stigma, which we're going to talk heaps about today. So Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, It's awesome. I know that we struggled to make this happen just because you're in Oz and I'm in California, but here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Two different times of the day, but it works, you know. It, it does. It does. And I'm so grateful to have you on here because I think so much of your work is kind of in parallel with the stuff that we've been pushing mm-hmm. here, but it's a little bit different and I think so needed. So let's start by talking about what is the stigma if we're talking about submitting the stigma. Right. So the stigma, I felt it very personally because I had my own mental health challenges without realizing that they were mental health challenges. Um, You know, because sometimes you just think, well, this is who I am and I'm the difficult friend or I'm the too sensitive friend or I, I, you know, hold other people's opinions in too high of a regard, those kinds of things. And you're like, well, okay, so what, what part is the personality and what part is something that is uh, either a disorder or like not not healthy, right? It doesn't promote my mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mental wellness was not a thing when I was growing up. My parents weren't big on that. Like, of course, like I went to the dentist, I went to the eye doctor, I went to all the doctor appointments, except for mental health, because, you know, my parents are boomers, and they don't really, um, maybe they had bad experiences. And they're like, you know what, you know, our kids not crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of that to battle, because um, I didn't find therapy until after I started jujitsu. So jujitsu was like my one thing that I started back in 2009 that I was like, this is my thing and I'm going to pay for it myself. And I'm going to do all these things that promote my well-being, even though in the beginning I was like, I just want to like be aggressive and stuff, not knowing exactly what it was about. And, you know, every barrier that I had with like a new diagnosis, it was always like, I couldn't just tell people like, yep, uh, generalizing anxiety disorder, like that's me. Instead, it was like, well, I took this, um, I went on Craigslist and I found this study that said, if you take this drug, because you have this diagnosis, then you get $500. So I was always like, but it was $500. And I'm like a, a, a college student. So at the time I was like, that's a lot. And then when I um, spoke to my therapist, eventually when I when I sought pro- uh, professional help, you know, he said, you're either ADHD or you're just smart. And I'm like, well, how does that work? You know, like, I think I'm going to choose that route. So I went that route and I started medication. Um, but then, you know, I, I took it more as like when I went to back to college and I went to a public university in LA. So it was so hard to get classes because there's so many students and they're all trying to get the same classes. And so um, when I found out that by having a disability, I could get a better registration date and I was nearing more towards graduation. And I just like had these classes that I needed to get. So I filled out the form. I had my um, psychiatrist sign it. And so then it became, well, I just have the diagnosis because now I, you know, get to sign up for classes earlier than everyone else, you know, and I was always looking at it as the perks, you know, never just owning it. Cause I didn't fully understand it. It was just, 
well, I, I'm sort of this way. Uh, so I guess I'm going to try to help myself, but in my own private way. And so, you know, seeking professional help, it's, it's not like, yes, you can do that alone, but you need a support system outside of that, right? Like your family, your friends, um, if, if they're not aware of what's going on, it's very hard for them to support you in general. And then to feel that you're not supported or to feel that you're a burden are very difficult things. And so that really prevents someone from getting help. I mean, I, I finally, you know, sought out help and it was the best thing I ever did, but I think it was the jujitsu that, that kind of gave me the confidence to do that. And that's why I sort of put the two together because I'm like, okay, well, I was not a good person in terms of like mental health. Um, I guess like stable and healthy and well, uh, until I found jujitsu. And of course it's a, it's a, it's a progress, right? So I'm still working on it myself and I'm still finding myself and all those things, but I found that people were less likely to get help and also to reach out to their support system when they have these mental health issues. And whether you have a diagnosis or not, like you need support, you need to be able to deal with regular stressors. So yeah, stigma was a big, big thing for my life. And then I noticed it um, for everyone else too, like in the jujitsu world. And um, yeah, so once people started coming out of the woodwork and like holding up the sign that I hold up that says Smith of Stigma Mental Illness, um, it was amazing. It was like the community grew on its own. You know what I mean? Totally. What made you want to do jujitsu in the beginning? You said it was like an aggression outlet kind of yeah. thing. Um, so like when I was in high school, like I didn't, I was really lost. Like I didn't have like a group. Um, I hung out like at hardcore shows like after school and on weekends, but I was kind of like, I didn't want to be in one, one particular like click. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like I was too eclectic for that. So it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go hang out with the jocks over there. I'm going to go hang out with the nerds or, you know, the magnet smart students or this or that. Like I always was felt like a more of a rebel. Like I had a group of friends that I grew up with from like fourth grade to like high school. Right. But I don't, I don't know. I never was good in group settings. Cause I always felt like I never got my way. <laughs> um, yeah. and I think it's hard when you have like all these voices together, you know? And I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna do my own thing. And then I'm like, they stopped inviting me places. Like I got really sad. And so, yeah, you find ways to like isolate yourself sometimes. So, um, the only thing that I really did was I hung out with the guys, like I roughhoused with them. I literally wrestled with them. They were like really, really hands-on like BMX type skateboarders, you know? So, um, yeah, it was just like, I always hung out with them and hung out. I always wanted to be like one of the guys without wanting to be an athlete. Like I was never an athlete. So jujitsu was something that some of my hardcore friends, my guy friends went and did. And when I found out about like UFC and I started watching it and stuff, I thought, okay, well, this is really cool. And, um, you know, being in the hardcore scene, I met someone on an online forum that said he was coming out to compete at pants. And it was 2008. And so when he came out, I was like, all right, do you want to hang out? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I pick him up and he's like, okay, what do you want to do? Like, do you mind going to the tournament so I could check on like my teammates? Because he was from Maryland. And I was like, okay. Like, I just thought it was like some weird bro wrestling thing. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, there was females, you know, there was, it was brown and black belt still combined. And I remember watching a match and just being like, women do this. <laughs> um, and then I had way too much social anxiety. So it took me like a year to get into a gym, but the first gym that I ended up walking into near my work was uh Hamala Bahal, who's like multiple time world champion. And I had no idea. I was just yeah. like, yeah, uh, can I just like sign up? <laughs> um, 
And it was awesome. Like I didn't even realize who it was until, Mm -hmm. you know, like people talk about it, like, oh yeah, you know how like when he sits and tells stories, like, oh, those are the best. Like, why? They're like, because he's famous. (laughs) They're like, he's like the Michael Jordan of jujitsu. And I was like, wow. And so I just I started listening in and hanging out after class and stuff. And I competed like three months in and I was just hooked after that. I remember all the guys are about to compete again. And I, and I went over to Hamalo. I'm like, can I, can I sign up? Like, am I good enough? And he's like, sure. Yeah. Whatever, man. Like, yeah, if you want, I was like, so, so you're saying I can't like, I needed his permission, like his validation. Mm-hmm. And once I got that, it was just like, I was signing up all the time and just getting out there, you know, cause it scared me. That's why. So I want to come back to the point about community because that's been a big thing that's come up in a lot of my research. So we're just going to park that and I'm going to say that out loud so I remember to come back to it. (laughs) So a lot of my research um, has centered on the question that I ask all of my podcast guests, which is why do you think it is that so many people say BJJ saved my life? I think that... um... So when someone tells you that you have a diagnosis, right? A depression, mental, anything mental health related, they usually tell you a few things. They tell you to be more goal oriented, especially for <laughs> depression, right? Um, to have something to look forward to, right? Because depression makes us feel like there is nothing to look forward to. And also to find a support system. And the thing is that there's a built-in support system because you can't train jujitsu alone. And, you know, you get, you get really comfortable with your training partners and when they're not there, you're like, damn it, where did Ashley go? You know, like she's the same size as me. I feel comfortable asking her questions as we drill. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that she's not going to hurt me. So we have our like important people that we like to train with. And obviously there's a lot of risk involved. You know, I don't know this person and I'm going to go and like full on full body, full contact, um, and, and try to like choke this person and they're going to try to choke me. So it's a very trusting thing right away. Like you have this bond. It's almost like a trauma bond. It feels like, because Mm -hmm. you are, you're experiencing things that challenge you, um, in public. It's not a private setting. Right. So you share these experiences. So you have the support system, obviously exercise. Like I never exercised a day in my life before I started jujitsu. So automatically it was like, wow, I feel like shit when I eat a burrito the night before I train, you know, and you're like, okay, maybe I won't eat that. Maybe instead of having three cans of Coke for lunch, I'll have water, you know, (laughs) cause you're like, wow, I, I don't want to be embarrassed and I don't want to have everyone laughing at me or, you know, in my head, I think they're laughing at me because I can't get through a role or I fart on someone or, you know, there's all these things that can happen. So yeah, you have the exercise that doesn't feel like exercise. So those are like three things that are four rather like bowl community, um, exercise and also routine, um, and having a, a place that you're like, Nope, on every Tuesday, Thursday, even if you start with just two times a week, you go there and you're like, I'm expected to be there. People are going to ask when I'm not there. And it just becomes a habit rather than do I really want to train today? Like, am I tired? You know, you got to get excited. So all of those things for me have been like, wow, that's exactly what a mental health professional has told me to do and told me to invest in, you know, like, I think a lot of psychologists will say, you know, why don't you try yoga, you know? And yeah, yoga can have some of those things, but there's no real like goals, right? Like goals or I'm going to get that next stripe, or I'm going to make sure that Brian doesn't guillotine me as much anymore. Um, or simply I want to win that tournament. So there's all these different things that you can strive for. And also there's a little bit of heartbreak involved, like not winning and maybe losing a round or getting your guard passed when you've been working on it for so long. 
So it just, it helps you really um, deal with the ups and downs of training. And then you can carry that into life and say, okay, well, this is just a tough time. This is just a tough role, or I made a mistake, but it doesn't mean that I can't, you know, rectify it. Totally. So we're going to come back to each of those bits. Like I said, I wanted to talk about community and community Mm -hmm. always comes up. Like I've basically never asked that question and not had community come up um, in research that I conducted. Like if you ask 200 people, I asked over 200 people. Community is the number one thing that comes up when you ask people like why that would be. And I think it's exactly like you said, right? It's a different kind of community. There's so much Mm -hmm. trust trust there's so much compassion that you have to have for each other right it's such a safe space like not even if you eat a burrito but like if someone's squeezing the shit out of you you might fart you know yeah like that's okay but they laugh at you and you know we ha 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 (laughs) get over it right yeah yeah and then on the other end of the spectrum you know you might mount me and I might have a panic attack you know, because you're heavier than me or just because like it's the end of the day and I'm tired and my resilience bar is totally empty as opposed to like when I've slept well and I've eaten well and I'm fresh. Or it might be that like the way that my nervous system is responding to my past experiences, you know, we might call that Mm -hmm. trauma. I have trauma, you could say. That freaked me out. And it's a safe space to know like, well, okay, well, I'm going to freak out and you're just going to be like, okay, dude, like just chill out. It's fine. Like go take some space if you want or like you want to keep going or like, oh, okay, like, well, maybe we'll just drill the move from before. Like we won't full on roll or whatever it's going to be. Like that kind of a community Mm -hmm. with so much trust on so many levels. You're not going to choke me out. You're not going to hurt me. You're going to hold space for me to do my own thing. I think is so, so critical to what we've evolved to need as humans, which is to be community-driven individuals, Mm -hmm. you know, individuals within a community. I love that you said the resilience bar because I I just, whenever I am either like overtired or like I've just had a lot of stress, I turn into the biggest bitch <laughs> like, and it's not cause I want to like it, my boyfriend will just start annoying the shit out of me sometimes. And it's only because I had like a stressful day and not that it means that, okay, it's totally fine for me to be a dick to him or anything, but it's definitely, it, it makes me think of like a video game, you know, like this is how much I can handle mm-hmm. if I have this much rest and then, you know, and then it's like, okay, my, <laughs> my patience is wearing thin. Yeah, I think gamifying life is like the ultimate way to live with all kinds of things. And it it's a nice way to think about like self-care and all those terms that are really popularized now, which is like, well, how do you put back into your cup? How do you reload the bar? And for you, that might look like taking a bath or journaling or meditating, but like also sitting in the bath might be scary as shit because you're alone with your thoughts and you actually get more anxious with that, Mm -hmm. right? Meditating might be terrible because the only thoughts that come in are bad thoughts because like that's all that you've known. That's your habit. You haven't sought help from mental health yet, or maybe Mm -hmm. you are, right? There's no judgment on that. That's very normal. And I hear that all the time that a lot of people get told self-care is meditating. Self-care is sitting Mm -hmm. with your thoughts and it stresses them out so much. And then they think they're even more broken, right? I can't do that. Therefore, how am I ever going to have mindfulness? It's like, well, dude, go roll, go kickbox, go smash pads, be completely present in the moment. Because if you don't, your training partner is going to hit you. They're going to submit you, right? And find your way of being in your body through that way. It's going to be different for everyone. I have nothing Mm -hmm. against yoga and meditation. I meditate. Um, I don't do yoga. 
but I have nothing against yoga. It's right. going to like different things are going to work for different people. And some people are, I think like high energy people, they need to be distracted yeah. all the time. I need to get my rage out. Sometimes I think that's kind of what it is. Otherwise I just become like a very ragey person. It comes out in my driving. It comes out my, my interactions with strangers. Sometimes like I'm just, you know, there's some days when you're like, hello, how are you? Like some stranger. And there's other times when you like, you can't even make eye contact. It's like you give like there's a cashier. You just give them your money. Like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, yeah, that's really interesting. And I love that it's like for different people, different things. And it's funny because like I go through I feel like I'm going through my whole life just like adding things that help and kind of like picking and choosing things that don't. But I have to try it first. Right. To really know, like I've done the yoga, I've done the I've tried the meditation. I've tried those things. And obviously going into MMA and trying kickboxing and loving it and feeling like a white belt again is really like amazing too. Cause I'm like, okay, yeah, I do like punching people. And I actually don't mind getting punched in the face. Usually like if someone punches me in the face, it makes me want to not avenge it, but to like, to, you know what I mean? Like get better, I do. You, you know, it's like a hunger rather than like a defeat, you know? Yeah. That's the other special part of that community, right? It's like, you punch me in the face and I'm not mad. I'm kind of like, that was good. And I'll tell you like, Oh, like I'll be like, Oh, Hey, that was good. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Now I'm going to get you back, you know? Nice. Like, yeah. And I think it's the same thing in, in most martial arts. And, you know, I really like how you said about on different days that that rage is going to be there and it's going to come out somehow. If we come mm-hmm. back to thinking about like gamifying life and we think about emotions are like charges that get stored in our bodies and if you think about animals right what they do when that happens when an emotion gets stuck you know like they've been sprinting away from a tiger or maybe they had to play dead or something like that and there was Mm -hmm. an emotion that got stuck in their body they get up and they shake right if anyone has a cat or a dog I don't know if cats do this actually but dogs do yeah cats Cats do do. they're traumatized like oh yeah they do cats do I've never had a cat but that's why I have a mug that says world's greatest cat mom (laughs) you know them you know them but you know right they get up and, and they will physically shake like they will physically discharge emotions and I think that everybody needs to have some kind of way of doing that and it's actually quite rare that you can do that like just with words or just with journaling to discharge it there's always going to be a little bit of something that lingers from that animal part of our brain that like wants to physically get that out whether that be through swimming or running or lifting weights or doing a martial art like it doesn't matter you've just got to find like the physical outlet that works for you very true for kids too right that's why like you know they always said that adhd kids or add kids just can't sit still and I'm like, I don't think it's like that, especially not for females, which took me so long to realize that I, I am an you know, ADD female because it comes out. It's not just like fidgeting and stuff. It's very far from it. Um, but, you know, being the, the rebel in class, you know, like not being able to listen. It's like, well, if you put their attention to something that really allows them to like get it out, but in a religious manner, that's like I remember there was a really weird uh, analogy, but there was like a Bob's Burgers thing. Mm-hmm. like a scene. And, um, I don't even really watch it that much, but it's like, they're showing the bed and the whole family's sleeping in the bed. And they're like, this is where I sleep. This is where I sleep. And then it just shows Tina and she goes, this is where I thrash. And she just like, and I'm thinking I could have used it as a kid, you know, like being so frustrated, you know, frustrated or I didn't know what to do with all my energy. If I didn't, my mom is just like, just go in your room and thrash. <laughs> I probably would have 
been a lot better off not you know not knowing it just because it was so pent up so it just when I saw that I was like that speaks to me I don't think I would ever say that out loud or like actually do it but I don't know why an adult cartoon was like it like knew me (laughs) and and I mean now that's becoming like really commonplace in psychotherapy psychology kind of worlds right like physically shaking out trauma um Mm -hmm. like finding some kind of discharge for energy is becoming part of like literature it's becoming commonplace and I think Mm -hmm. like that's that's one part of submitting the stigma right is having more research being like well actually this is normal and these things that you like intuitively thought were what you wanted to do like you wanted to Mm -hmm. move around are good right your body probably has this special kind of wisdom yeah it's very validating it's so validating right and then I think the other hand of it which is what your your Instagram account in particular is doing so well is having all these people like put their hand up and say like this is what happened to me. Like, this is what I've been living with. This is what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. And like, here's, you know, and it's theme themed around theme, jujitsu. Yeah. yeah. You know, saying like, yeah. And then this is what I got to now. It yeah, normalizes like it. How jujitsu saved them pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, um, in some manner. And I think that a lot of people have a very similar journey and maybe it's coming out of like, um, a tough breakup. I've heard a lot of females talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, or they are domestic, um, assault survivors, right. Um, of domestic abuse and things like that. So it doesn't always obviously need to be so heavy. Like mine was where I was just like, I don't know. I just like to wrestle with the guys and it ended up being something so much more. And I think people don't expect that they might sign up for one, one of those reasons, even if it is for community or mental health, but it's really easy to get like really deep into the culture. And I've never seen that with anything else. I've seen people take, take something and make their identity about, you know, their whole identity becomes that right. Like someone who starts jujitsu gets their blue belt and adds BJJ at the end of their username. You know, we laugh, but it's so funny because they find their full identity in it Mm. and it's different. It's not just, Oh, I'm such a star Wars fan. Right. It's not just like, yeah, like I love books and I have a book club and I'm just such a book nerd. Um, There's something different. And I think kickboxing is something um, similar, but even still kickboxing doesn't have like the, the lineage necessarily and the, uh, the tradition, I guess, cause it's not, yeah, it's more mainstream, I think. Um, and you can obviously speak more to it. Like I train Dutch kickboxing and I love it. And the, you know, my, my coach, Anthony Hardunk, is Dutch. <laughs> I feel like it's very authentic. Um, and so, you know, jujitsu, it's very like, no, this is what we do. We bow, we get on the mat. We have the, this many stripes for this rank. And then we have these ranks and it's all very unified. And it's like, someone says I'm a jujitsu black belt. And immediately you're like, Oh, under who, you know, like it's, it's still such a small world and people are being exposed for like fake black belts and things like that. So it's very, uh, just submersive. And it's really interesting how that always happens. I find it very, uh, rare that someone just goes to class and then goes home, goes to class, goes home and like does nothing else. You know what I mean? I think it's so interesting that that's been your perspective is that it's the, the more tradition and the lineage and things like that. Um, and I agree to an extent because I come from traditional karate, which I think is even more steeped in like the tradition, (laughs) you know, um, but from my perspective, I think what makes jujitsu so 
all-encompassing as part of like who you are and what you do is that it's so real you know like with kickboxing I mean I grew up striking I started when I was 12 you know I've had like five professional kickboxing fights and I know what it's like to get punched in the face hard Mm -hmm. as hard as somebody can but only because I got to the point where I trained and trained and trained and got in the ring but you could train kickboxing and I have lots of friends who are beautiful technicians on pads who have never had a fight Mm -hmm. they are very proficient in kickboxing we don't have a belt system so like if if, you know if someone says like oh you do kickboxing they'll say like oh how many fights have you had it's not like jujitsu where someone would say like well how many times have you competed it's what belt are you yes and because that's missing for one thing that's one part of it is that it's like there's no measure but then the other part of it is you've just never tested yourself so you don't have this like experiential knowledge of like well how well does my kickboxing work Mm -hmm. you know whereas if someone shows a move and you learn a new technique you try it on someone it doesn't work you go like okay I know it doesn't work because in roles we effectively go 100 percent right Because you can, because you can tap. Yes. You can't go 100% inspiring in kickboxing. Yeah. We would all have brain damage, right? Exactly. It'd be a little late. Yeah, we'd be on the <laughs> yeah. floor. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that that is a whole other level of confidence. You know, when you know you can escape a triangle, you know you can escape mm-hmm. mount, like those kind of things are very, very changing to your perception of yourself because you can imagine right. in a street situation what you might do, you know, you can always bring in like, oh, they might have a gun. They might have a knife. It's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, but your body actually responds yeah. differently. You hold yourself so differently. It's in, true. It's true, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. Posturing and like, not, not just to like, so, you know, me traveling to different countries, for example, and being like a little white girl, um, it's very like, I'll go alone all the time. Like I went to Brazil alone and people will tell you, you know, little tips and, and tricks, like don't have your phone out, always be aware. And it's like, I do that everywhere. It's not Mm. just the dangerous places. And there's something that, that I don't know if people would always agree with me, but when you posture like a victim or act like a victim, you tend to become one. And I'm not saying that victims ever ask for it. Right. I would never, ever say that, but there's a difference between, you know, walking around like this versus, you know, looking up. And I, I specifically do that because I've learned what, what body language really looks like and whether it, what's threatening and what's not and what's, you know, and I'm putting myself in better situations as I go without even thinking about it. Right. I might take a certain way without realizing like, yeah, like it's probably just safer this way. Like, or I'm just not dumb and I just don't put myself in horrible situations that something might happen, you know? Um, but with jujitsu, it was always, <clears throat> I always made the joke that um, if I ever had to use it in the, in the real world, I would just pull guard. Cause I never went for takedowns and, you know, since doing striking and having stand up and really paying attention to wrestling, I never realized before how important it was to my well being. And obviously I have more confidence now, but I mean, I had confidence before, but now it's a little bit different. Like, of course I had one amateur MMA fight and I, I used my striking a lot, which was, you know, fun for me. Cause it was important hey. that I feel what it was like to get punched in the face mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you know, I, yeah, I could have gone in there and just like gone straight for the takedown. And but what would I have learned? And what mm. would I have experienced? Nothing. Like I went and and did the whole thing, you know, and I won by, I ended up winning by TKO and it was the best thing ever. Cause I really yes. thought that she was going to turn away and mm-hmm. I was going to have to like submit her. And I guess cause it's amateur. They're like, all right, that's good enough. So I, they called it, you know, off mm-hmm. like the ground and pound. And I thought, 
you know, I got to, it didn't really matter like what I got to show, but it more was more about what I got to experience. I got to experience being kicked and being punched and by someone who really wants to hurt me, who really wants me to lose. And so having that experience just, and even in training, sometimes you get some good shots from, from people and that makes it more realistic because someone is not, someone might come and grab me or they might grab something of mine. Um, and of course having that close contact is great for jujitsu, but what happens when I just want to get the person away? There was a time, the only time, cause people have asked me like, have you ever had to use it? Have you ever had to use your jujitsu in the real world? And I said, well, you know, my ex and, and his brother and I were on a beach in Miami and we left our bag there because we had to pay for like an umbrella thing, which was so stupid, but we thought, okay, well, there's dudes like standing over there, probably going to protect our stuff. Plus in California, people are really like easygoing and you can leave your stuff and they're not going to, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, um, everyone has their stuff out. So if one person's, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, we, we found out that it was missing and we end up finding, um, the find my iPhone app. Mm-hmm. And so we find the guy and he's this, I don't know, I wouldn't say that he was homeless, but he definitely wasn't clean. And I had no clothes on except for my bathing suit. And I, and I wanted to stop him because he started like walking away. Like, no, no, this is my bag. And we're like, dude, that's not your bag. So he, he uh, said something like, I'm going to shank you. And they never, he never like produced any like knife or anything, but I didn't want to touch him. Because I'm like, well, okay, yeah, I could totally subdue him, take his back, you know, wait for the cops to come. But I'm like, I don't want to touch him. I don't, that is, I'm not comfortable doing that with a stranger and especially wearing no clothes. And so I wish that I had known a little bit more of like stand up to be able to have that. I ended up just running behind him <laughs> until the cops showed up. Yeah. Um, and then they were just like, all right, we got it from here. And I was like, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, now, now I'm like, okay, I can handle myself. I definitely know, like, even if it was just having like a zone defense and pushing Mm -hmm. the person away, things like that would have been so much better than having to rely on like body locking someone or like jumping on their back. It's like, you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I would definitely do it. And then you're like, you get in the situation and you're like, don't really want to touch this person, (laughs) you know? Um, So yeah, I'm really that's like such a gap. Right. And so I'm so glad that I have done that now. And then I have like more of an understanding and more realistic, right. Because obviously being a female who travels, I need to have that. And, and I feel very confident and I feel very, um, like postured and, and like, I'm more aware, I guess. And I think that, uh, a self-defense class isn't going to teach you that. And especially if you take maybe like a weekend class, it's not going to be enough. You're not going to remember that in a time where someone's attacking you. So I just, I'm always grateful that I have the 12 years of martial arts experience to be able to just like, to know it, have that muscle memory. And I'm sure that you can totally relate. Like, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity, I call it to use it on the streets, because if you do, like, I want to hear about it. (laughs) I know. And people ask me the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever got to use it? Did you ever use it? And Luckily for me, it's never come up, but definitely the way, I think that like the things that you're willing to do can sound bad, but like, um, and the way that you're willing to respond to things is very different. Like, okay, I'll give an example (laughs) is I was in Thailand. Um, it was my first time in Thailand and I was like over there to train Muay Thai and 
in in Phuket, there's like this one famous street where all of the the really big gyms are, like Tiger Muay Thai and Phuket okay. Top Team, and there's like lots of other gyms. Um, which if anyone watches the UFC, like they've probably heard of Tiger Muay Thai. And, and anyway, it's of like course, yeah. this really niche tourist destination just for people who are going to fight and people who are like into fitness and yoga now as well, but really for fighters. So you can say to like anyone, like, oh, I'm here to train at Tiger Muay Thai, Phuket Top Team, and like they'll know, the locals. Okay. And anyway, I <laughs> I booked an Airbnb before I had gotten there but I got in really late um my flight got in at like one or two o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. I was like okay I'm gonna just get a taxi um and I'm gonna take the taxi like onto the soy which is like what the name of the street is and then I'll you know like go to my Airbnb but when we got there it was just like me traveling solo with this taxi driver and I was like <laughs> we're gonna be dumb I was just like all right see you and he was like but how do I know you got in safe? And I was like, because he was asking me like, well, what's the hotel called? And I was like, no, it's an Airbnb. Like it's someone's house kind of thing. Yeah. And he was just not computing. He was like, no, I want to see you got home safe. And I was like, okay, Aww. cool. It's the luckiest thing that ever happened to me, right? Because it didn't exist, the Airbnb. <laughs> like, totally didn't exist. And I was calling and calling and Holy they were like shit. not picking up. So it was just like me little white girl right like totally yep. by myself with my taxi driver who was super nice and we're just like on this on this street being like what the fuck like where am I gonna <laughs> sleep and we ended up like driving around looking at places like nowhere was open we finally found like this group of people who were drinking and this little Thai woman like came up and he spoke to her in Thai and she was like okay yeah I'm like I'll find this place like come follow me down this alley so it's just like <laughs> me me and these two ties like totally dark just like walking down this alley finally got to this place where this guy took me in but I think about like how much I know now about the nervous system and trauma and how easy it is to go into a freeze response. And I think mm-hmm. that if I didn't feel comfortable walking down a dark alley, knowing that like if someone quickly turned, like I would do something, I would, I just wouldn't have walked. I think right. I would have just frozen and broken down and been like, I don't know what to do, like just imploded, which happens all the time. And I think mm-hmm. just the ability to have agency is like a an application of the self-defense yes. relative to actually using the self-defense and and I think that that comes up quite a lot and some of people that I know some researchers who do karate research and like other similar research will talk a lot about how doing martial arts makes you take up space like particularly women consciously choose not to take up space you know we cross our legs and we try and make ourselves small and that's like really the way that we're programmed and you see it on the mats, right? You see like new women will move out of the way of mm-hmm. like white belt girl next to a white belt guy, like two girls rolling, two guys rolling. The guys will roll into them and the girls will keep moving out of the way. You see it in kickboxing too. If they're sparring, girls will have this like sense where they're looking for like, where yep. are the guys? Yep. I'll move out of the way. Guys are just like plowing through, you know, yep. when everyone's just like, oh, boys will be boys. Yes. But there's this thing that changes and all of a sudden you go like, fuck no, like I'm here. I'm not moving. Oh, you bumped Mm -hmm. into me. You bumped into me. I wasn't moving. I was standing here with my training partner. You hit me. It's your fault. And they'll go like, oh, and that's the switch. Like, and 
that can happen from any martial art, I think. But like yes. taking up space and being like, I deserve to take space and I'm commanding it. And like you said, your posture changes. And you are statistically, there's research on this too. There's a really cool research study where they took past victims of trauma and they put them into kickboxing and they showed that it reduced re-victimization because they held themselves differently. They had a different belief about themselves. So it's, it's, again, it's not victim blaming. It's not saying like anyone deserved it, but on some level, like all women have got to play defense. Yes. That's, that's just the reality of the world that we're in at the moment. There's, there's so many women's groups specifically, there's one on Facebook and I've been a, um, a member of it for so long and I don't even really post. And, you know, I look on my group page on Facebook and then I see, I see posts and stuff. And I remember seeing this one time where someone commented because women will, who are new will go on there and say, you know, what do, how do I deal with this person? What do I do when this happens? You know? And I saw a comment that basically said like, have you decided to talk to him? Have you actually told him, you know, like, have you tried to actually face it head on um, rather than beating around the bush or feeling like you don't belong there or that because you're a woman or because you're a white belt or because you're new or, you know, because you haven't had a fight that you are uh, less than or you don't deserve to be there. Um, So I found a lot of situations that it could literally be just you know, take up more space and you deserve to be there, especially in jujitsu. They, they teach you that as a higher belt, if you are rolling next to someone who has a higher belt, you're supposed to move, right? That's Hmm. sort of the tradition, but it doesn't really make any sense because then it puts people in like that. Okay. You're a white belt. You don't deserve to be here. You're less than, and you deserve to get injured. And I'm going to roll on top of you. Well, when I went to Marcelo Garcia's and I trained with him, he had a very easy solution. He says, if you're rolling and you look over and there's feet, there are feet by you and you think that you're going to get kicked instead of stopping those other people, no matter what belt they are and telling them to move, just move, get out of the danger. If there's danger, (laughs) just, just move, you know? And so I've literally seen people be like, um, like they'll stop their role and look at the other people and go, um, can you move? And it's like, wow, you just wasted so much time. You just interrupted now two training sessions and you could have easily just moved out of the way for two seconds. I mean, most of the time, if you're the person on top and the person on bottom, they're not really looking around person on top can see more. And it's real easy to just be like either, Hey, let's move over there or just pull them out of the way. And so sometimes the whole rule set of like the tradition, right. Is, is actually pretty, um, I don't know, asinine, I would say, I don't, I just think that like, it's there to feel, to give ego, I think, which is funny because they say in martial arts and especially jujitsu to leave your ego at the door. So there's a lot of situations that people have a hard time battling that. And mostly you, it's going to be because, oh, they're a higher belt or they've been training there longer than me. And it's like, no, we are, we are first and foremost, we are human beings and we need to treat each other that way. And it's just like when I talk about the support system and the community, it's like you look out for one another, right? Like you're not going to, I'm not going to arm bar my so-called Ashley friend uh, too hard because I want to make sure that she comes back. And I'm also not just going to beat her to shit because I want her to get better. Because if she gets better, I get better. You know what I mean? I love that so much. 
there's a lot. I mean, like I, I hate when people are like, oh, iron sharpens iron. But I mean, it really is true. You know, like if I may, I may get the same thing on you all the time. Right. And then one day you kind of figure it out and you're like, wow, okay. Either the, you asked the instructor and said, how do I deal with this? Or you just started experimenting and trying different things. And all of a sudden I can't do that same move on you. Right. Well, instead of me being frustrated and going, Ooh, like I can't do it anymore. It just makes me have to go to the professor too and say, damn it. She, she totally figured me out. How do I get better? You know, cause all, there's always going to be someone that has the, the antidote, right? There's no perfect sequence. There's no perfect um, combo, right? Everything in, in time and um, you know, different ways that you, you do things depending on the sport, but it's, it's definitely something where it's like, I should not, I should not uh, want to prevent someone from getting better. I also shouldn't want to, I shouldn't prevent someone from being on the mat with me. Um, just because of an ego trip or something like that, you know? So if you think about the types of cultural changes that you could make, this is an interesting question, I think. So say you had a magic wand, right? And you like could found a gym or transform a gym so that there was no mental health stigma. And in fact, the other end of that spectrum where it was like a gym where it was like, we're a mental health advocacy gym. Like we're a safe space for you to like work through your depression, your anxiety, like whatever you've got going on, like we fully support that. Mm -hmm. How would that gym look differently to the traditional kind of gym that you would expect to walk into? So it's funny because like whenever I teach a seminar, for example, I, I wait till the end, but the way that I carry on my seminars is I, I have found that I am authentic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I cuss. Um, mm-hmm. and if kids want to be present, I let you know them know, you know, I don't really teach kids, um, just because of that. Mm-hmm. And I make dick and fart jokes and that's just how I am. Like I, I, I think that jujitsu is very awkward and, you know, you learn full guard. You're like, wow, this is missionary position. I've been here before. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of awkward situations. I mean, I mean, I so many times I'll spin to like a spinning arm bar and like my butt cheek, like, you know, like hits my training partner's nose. And it's like, there's so many weird things that happen that you have to have a sense of humor. So I have found that humor has been one of the biggest things about mental health that has helped me. Um, not that, okay, I make everything a joke or I laugh things off. Like there are definitely serious things, but I'm, I'm always going to keep it light because if things have tension and if things are, uh, already very serious, it tends to create an environment that doesn't allow for mistakes that doesn't allow for failures. And those are necessary. Right. And so I find that a lot of the spaces that I have created, right? Because when I go into a gym, obviously they have their own community and they have their own existing, right? But a lot of times with seminars, they're like, okay, just do whatever you want. We'll do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I, I, never, I never try to like change it too much. I always ask them like, all right, do you do just a clap? Do you do one, two, three clap? So I try to keep <laughs> yeah. it obviously similar. And people laugh at me and I'm like, no, because that's a different thing. It's yeah. not the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm not you know, I want to see what other people do. I want to learn from that too. Um, and so I, I definitely like to make sure that it's like comfortable for them, but I'm, I make fun of myself and like, I make jokes because if people don't laugh while they're training, um, I'm like, why are you here? If you're not smiling, then why are you here? Right. It's not your job. I don't care if you are a black belt elite world champion athlete. Like if you don't enjoy what you do, why would you do it? 
because it's, there's, there's a lot of grief involved, right? There are, there's grief in losing competitions in, and you're, you know, having injuries, um, in the, the weight cuts. I mean, there's so much stress involved. Why make it worse? And I know that, um, I almost became a firefighter, not that I was really like in it, in it. Um, but I know that with first responders, they have a very different sense of humor because they deal with very, very heavy things, right? Obviously more so than a martial arts gym. And so a gym for me is something that makes, you know, sense of humor, making jokes and allowing people to speak, um, which sounds weird, but I, I come from a couple militant places that are like, no, no, you, you, and you're there, you, you shut your mouth and you drill, you know? And it's like, okay, but this is also kind of my social time. And if you make so many rules, right, then I'm not going to be able to be authentic and I'm going to feel um, a shame and guilt on, on who I am. And if I can't bring who I am on the mat, that's going to be really hard for me and I'm not going to enjoy it. So I love having the different personalities in a gym. Um, I pick up on that right away. You can always tell who the clown is. You can always tell, you know, who the, the real serious macho guy is, maybe the real competitor dude. So it's always fun to figure that out when you go and visit. And so I always speak about mental health afterwards and I make it really, I've always made it really chill, right? Because mm-hmm. from speaking about it, since I started Smith the Stigma, I can't come in and be like, Hey guys, my dad killed himself. Therefore I have a nonprofit. Like that's a little fucking heavy. Yeah. So, so I, I kind of just speak from experience and I just tell people to check in on one another. And I've sort of made it like this chill way of, of just being like, Hey man, like, you know how you love training with Robert every day? Like, well, it would suck if he wasn't there because he wasn't feeling great. So, you know, just check in on him and say, hey, is everything okay? And maybe they don't tell you, but at least they know that they're not alone. And that's a big feeling when we have mental health issues. So when I when I go in like and I think of this like perfect, you know, mental health gym, I think wherever I go, I try to create that. And I think it takes one, one or two people just being authentic, usually the person in charge, right? Because it always comes from the top down. Mm-hmm. But having someone who makes fun of themselves, who who talks about their failures, who admits their their wrongs, but also on the other spectrum end of the spectrum speaks very like highly of themselves, never really talks down to themselves in terms of like, oh, I'm a I'm a shitty black ball or, oh, yeah, I lost because I suck. They never say self-deprecating things just to say those like, obviously, I'm going to say something like, you know, self-deprecating as humor, but it's, you're always going to be able to tell the difference with my body language versus me being seriously saying something like that. Um, I've also had very like um, interesting uh, talks with instructors who have not agreed with the way that I use my facial expressions, which I feel like I can't control a lot. And the, you know, the thing, how I act or, you know, Oh, like if I'm not so inviting sometimes or whatever it is, or if I'm talking too much, mm-hmm. those are all things that I've heard before. And, um, I spent a lot of time being like, oh, I shouldn't be all these things. I shouldn't be all these things. And then when I branched out and I stopped subscribing to the gyms and really, um, going out to teaching seminars and training everywhere and being more open-minded, I found that I find my people right away now. And the thing is that you learn about with, with mental health issues or people who are like-minded and are open, it creates an openness. And so being able to talk and being able to say, Hey, you good? Like, Oh no, I think I'm going to have a panic attack. Or, you know, my boyfriend just broke up with me. Well, Hey man, this, this, this training session, I don't need it. I can go and sit and talk with you or whatever it is, you know, but open-mindedness, humor, things like that. I, I It's funny. Cause I've never had someone really ask that. And I'm like, 
I like this idea. <laughs> this is my goal. My goal would be to create an instructor program where I can teach people about mental health and how to identify it. And then just being a little bit more open-minded by the instructor, the owner's views is just accepting people for who they are rather than, oh, they're just creating chaos or they're just creating a scene or asking for attention, you know? It's like, yeah, they are asking for attention. Um, They just don't know how to say it or why, you know, that because I, I definitely, I had moments where if I went to training, this was before I really knew what was going on with me, but Mm. if I went to training and I wanted to pair up with Stephanie, but Stephanie saw that her best friend, Alex was there and they paired up like, and I didn't have anyone to pair up with right away. I would leave. I would go to Cobria and I would say, I have to go. He's like, but class hasn't started yet. And I'm like, he's like, what do you, and I was like, I don't know. I just, I have to leave. And I would go in the, 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 uh, the dressing room and just cry thinking that no one likes me. I created this narrative in my head. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely battled these things and uh, not realized. And then, you know, learned along the way of who, who understands and who doesn't. And there's a very big difference. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And I think what you said about just checking in is like, it's the simplest thing, but it's so important and it has Mm -hmm. so many applications, right? There's the mental health check-in, which is like before class or after class, like, Hey, Aaron, how are you doing? Like, how are you actually going? Like, what's going on for you? Are you feeling good? Like, do you need to talk anything like that? And then there's like a more specific check-in, which I would also love to see implemented, um, which is like, before we roll, just a quick check-in, like, you want to go pojada or you want to go like lighter nice. today, right? Because nice. we don't say that. It just gets like slap this, we go straight away. And then in my head, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, I got a comp in two weeks. I'm rolling hard, right? You're thinking, well, I'm actually like my resilience bar is really low. I would love yeah. to flow roll and just like work the move or like work yes. this thing that I've been having trouble with. And what ends up happening is maybe I smash you. So I don't get anything from it because I'm going hundred percent. You feel mm-hmm. terrible. You go home and cry because you're like, I yeah. suck at jujitsu. I just got yes. mauled. And it's actually just because we didn't say one thing, which was like, how hard do you want to go? Yes. And at that point, if you had said, I need to go 50%, I'm having a hard day. And we had a kind of gym that was like a safe space where you really felt like you could say that too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, um, I don't know. I think it's the same all around the world, but it's like when someone's like, how are you going? No one's like, terrible you know like the, the given response <laughs> yeah, is yeah. like yeah good yeah. yeah not good um yeah and if, if yeah. someone was like I'm terrible I'm about to have a breakdown like I think most people would be empathetic like they wouldn't just be like okay go away but most people feel like the they would walk expected, away slowly yeah the expected <laughs> response is just to be like yeah good it, and it's so it's such a break from what we expect. So we were not really asking people, mm-hmm. how are you going? It's just like a, it's a formality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having a, a culture where you say, okay, well, if I ask you, how hard do you want to go? And you say like 50%, then I honor that. And then look what happens. Like we get so much more out of it. I can like work on stuff that I want to work on. You get to work on stuff that you want to work on. And like, now we actually both win, right? Because we met each other where we're both at. You didn't have to try and come get pulled to me. And then like, Mm -hmm. I got nothing from it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Ryan's you is striking because obviously it's very hard to um, have control when you're just starting. So (laughs) when I would spar, okay, even though it was like light sparring, sometimes I would go for a cross while I was going backwards and like the person sort of walked into it, you know, and it landed pretty hard. And also like, I would say, sorry, right. 
but I don't say sorry. Like, sorry, I hit you because I'm not sorry. Like I'm actually really happy that I hit you because I did something right uh, for once. But also I say it out loud because I say, I don't mean to go that hard. Mm. It's because in striking, it's so easy to land a hard punch and the person's going to come back like 10 times harder. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, just I, like it's just intuition, I guess. And it, it's just automatically you're like, okay, all right, we're going this. So if I ever hit, feel like I land hard, I will actually say, like, I didn't mean to hit you that hard. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to elevate this or like make this any worse than it already has. Like, so in training in jujitsu, it's a lot easier, right? And we have this word called, or um, phrase called like the flow rule, which mm-hmm. I will admittedly tell people that I suck at. Yeah. Um, because I have a hard time because I feel like it, there's choice involved rather than just taking what's there and, and reacting. And there's so much thinking involved. Like, and I sit there and I go, how much should I give this person? Mm-hmm. Like if they go for my arm, do, am I an asshole because I defend it or am I, or do you know what I mean? And I've, I, I never understood, or we, I've been told, okay, go, go 30%. I'm mm-hmm. like, fuck if I know what that is. I don't know. I don't know what 30% is. Um, so I will tell, but I will tell people that and they go, Oh, do you want a flow roll? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like, let's do self-care. And I'm like, okay, but like what type, (laughs) um, it's very vague. Um, but I understand how to go with like lower belts now. And because girls have this thing that they always say to me, Oh my God, you're going to beat me up. (laughs) So they always tell me when I go to roll with them, because I have a black belt around my waist. And, you know, they're just being like, I don't want to say flirty because women just flirt. Like it's flirty, you know, like obviously there's no like attraction or anything. It's just friendly, but like being like, oh, you're going to get me. Um, And so I hear that a lot. And, and so I'm always like, okay, so I shouldn't go hard on them, you know, and sometimes I want to, and then it's just weird. It's definitely weird being, especially being an instructor as well. Um, because then you're, you're expected to never like hurt someone and then let them learn. Or sometimes they expect you to beat their ass, you know? And if you don't, they're like, wow, they're not a great instructor. (laughs) Um, so all these things go through my head. I don't know if they go through anyone else's, but flow rolling is definitely something that I'm not, I'm not great at, but also I remember being told, um, when I was in comp class and being told by someone, you, you roll too hard and, I'm just like, I'm trying to get ready for worlds. Like you're the same belt as I am. We've been training for years. Like, you know, and I got really angry at her um, because she said it in a way that was like, you go, I don't want to go with you. You go too hard. And so I had like a tizzy fit about it. And I was like telling people, I'm like, oh yeah. Cause I go so hard. Right. I'm just such a mess. Oh, I'm so awful. You know, I was just like kind of making a dick move about it. Um, but really I should have been, I mean, I guess I shouldn't have been able to translate, but if she would have communicated better and said, I'm not going hard today, can mm-hmm. we go a lighter role? Mm-hmm. That would have been way better. Instead, I was very offended because she like, no one wants to be called a spaz. You know, that's like the worst thing to be called in jiu-jitsu. And so when someone says something like, oh, you go too rough, like you're too rough. It, it made me feel like, like, as if I don't care about my training partners. And if I haven't you know, always been really nice about great, you know, training, but there's a difference between training hard and like, you know, for, for a competition and then just being like, yeah, do whatever you want, but you're right. That communication would be so like, you know, much better. And I think I've, I think I always say things out loud when no one asks because I'm subconsciously trying to create that. So I'll automatically either be like, oh man, I'm feeling great today. 
And that's just supposed to be like, yep, you can do anything you want. Or I'm like, fuck, dude, I don't want to be here. <laughs> there's, there's a difference, you know, and then people kind of gauge like how much they can push me on that day. That's like, I think the classic human trait, right? You're sitting in a room, you're like, oh, it's kind of cold. Instead of being mm-hmm. like, can mm-hmm. you pass me a blanket? Can you close the window, right? We won't say yeah. specifically what we want. And I, and yeah. I, and again, I often think about things through the lens of being a woman. And I think that it's more difficult for women to specifically say like, this is what I want directly, because that's quite yes. a male trait, but men yes. definitely have that too. And that's like quite embedded within our societies. We're all kind of like going around each other, just like trying to give hints, drop hints instead of mm-hmm. saying what we actually want to say. And there's lots yeah. of layers to that too. Like it does take a certain level of confidence, unfortunately, in a lot of settings to speak up if that's not the norm. And that's why I talk about like a culture of it being normal yes. is so, so yeah. different to um, to you having to be the one person who says to each person, you know, this is mm-hmm. how I want to dictate my role. Um, but I also think like to your point, I don't know if you find this helpful, but I love the book, The Four Agreements. Do you know it? I've heard of it, but I've never read it amazing book, super short, like really easy to read. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's about like four agreements you can make with yourself that's going to make your life a lot easier, basically. And it just talks about how everything that anyone says is the is from them. It's their yes, bullshit, yes. right? It's their projection onto yeah. you. So in that case where someone said like, oh, you roll hard, like I don't want to roll with you. That's them saying like, I'm not good enough to roll with you. And I got flattened and I feel like now I feel bad about it. So I'm going to take what the author, Don Miguel Ruiz would call poison. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the poison that I like hold about myself, my insecurities. And it's so painful for me to hold on to. I'm going to throw it back at you. And now you're going to take it and you're going to throw it at somebody else, right? Because it's uncomfortable for you to hold. And it's like this consistent cascading spiral mm-hmm. where I think like it's so hard. And, and like I grew up my teeth saying this to myself. Sometimes when people <laughs> say things to me, I'm like, don't take it personally. Don't yep. take it personally. Yep. Like, that's one of the agreements. Just like don't take other people's bullshit as reality because that's their projections onto you. And it it has almost nothing a lot of the time to do with you as a person. It's to do with Mm -hmm. their bullshit, their resilience bar that Mm -hmm. day, like Mm -hmm. all of the things that led up to that moment. You were probably just the straw that broke the camel's back for them to finally throw their poison at you. So it's, it's hard. And, you know, like I think it takes a lot of time to practice being in yourself and recognizing your body. And, yeah, and that's where mindfulness can be useful and, and you can do it in jujitsu too. Like you can notice, and I'm sure you do this because you've been training for a long time, right? Like I know in inspiring, I notice when I'm mouth breathing, that means I've okay, lost yeah. control of my emotions, right? Or I, my face gets really angry. Like I really <laughs> yeah, bite yeah, down yeah, on yeah. my mouth guard and I'm like yeah. snarling, mm-hmm. right? And as soon as I feel that, I'm like, oh, I'm acting just like completely on instinct. There's no planning going on here. Yeah. I'm not setting anything up. I'm just like right. angry and attacking. Mm-hmm. Once you can recognize that in your physiology, it applies to other things, right? You said to me, Georgia, you're so fat. Why? Like you're hurting me in mouth. Like you're so heavy. Oh my God. Imagine you said that to me, right? My, oh I would my feel God. my physiology spike, right? I would be like, <gasps> and I would feel my heart rate go up and I would get angry and I would want to say mm-hmm, something. Well, mm-hmm. if I'm used to noticing that in myself, I can maybe, not always, because I'm not perfect, but sometimes I can notice that and I can go, oh, you're having a response. Does it belong to you or is it theirs? Oh, you can let that go. And then it just like cuts the cascade off. And I think that that's one of the things that doing 
sports and movement practices to get you into your body are so useful for mm-hmm. they're like little interjects between you doing right. like the punch the person yell at the person yeah whatever. well I always okay like there was something that I that I put together and it was like this one wrestling class and it was you know like the collar tie right mm-hmm. so you're leaning into someone and you're holding the back of their neck and you have to put weight down obviously because otherwise they would just be like get off of me mm-hmm. um but there's a, there's a fine line between how much you give of yourself, right? So if I were to put all of my weight forward and all you did was move back and I ended up going with you and I ended up falling over because mm-hmm. I was co- so committed to what you were doing, um, that's obviously really bad for me. So there you have to find the balance of always having your own base. So if I'm going to be having the collar time pushing down, I have to know that if you leave, I'm not going to tip over. Mm. Right. And so there's a lot of situations in that, like even in jujitsu, but jujitsu even more so because it's very yin and yang. There's mm-hmm. very much like a dichotomy there because you can't have guard without a passer and vice versa. So it's a lot of the opposites. Right. So if I'm pushing, then they're going to either push back or pull. Right. And so knowing that I have to maintain my base, I cannot lean on you too much has been really important too. And that kind of, I feel like relates to you saying like, is this a me thing or is it a them thing? Cause we get so absorbed into what the other person is doing, especially when you're physically connected to that person. Um, we don't even realize it because that's, that's a language in itself, but I can, I can feel your grips go from this to, to this. Right. And sometimes that can be scary. That's why white belts are very scary to roll with because that's all they have. And if you amp someone up, even like just, I swept them, right. And there's nothing personal about it, but I swept them. And then they have this like emotional response that can feel really scary because then all of a sudden you have to be defensive. And sometimes people don't recognize that I had a training partner who actually really injured our other training partner. Um, She had to get two knee surgeries out of it. And she was, she's very technical, the sweetest person. But when she would roll, she would get like ragey and she would just like rage and use all of her strength. And she was very strong. Um, And she like, it was weird. Like something just like turned whenever we would spar. And so she was like making an effort to go back to fundamental classes to just focus on the technique and not get so absorbed. And she's, you know, obviously a way better human being for it, a better instructor, a better trainer, but she finally recognized that. But of Unfortunately, it took like, you know, having someone, one of her good friends being injured, but it's weird because people do that. They get in their, they get in their feels, they get in their, their mind, I guess. Um, and you can feel it. I mean, striking, especially, especially I, my first, um, MMA gym, um, I did not, uh, have striking and they kind of just like put me in and were like, all right, you're going to do this combo, this combo, whatever. And I would just get hurt. And if I didn't get hurt, then I just made stupid mistakes that weren't being corrected. And I remember it being really difficult uh, because I felt obviously I was like the bottom of the totem pole. And I went from being a black belt, you know, a good you know black belt competitor to being just not nobody, but just to not even knowing the language of striking mm-hmm. or the footwork or the defense or anything like that. So here I am just like going for it. And then people are just like toying with me. And so it took me going to my, my gym now dynamics 
and just going to intro classes. I still go to the fundamental classes. He's like, my coach tells me I can come to the team training, but I need you to go to the fundamentals too. Because if you don't have fundamentals, you don't have anything. You can't work off of that, right? It's not all spinning back kicks and stuff. So, you know, learning literally like what it, what a punch looks like in slow motion was huge. Like no one had ever taught me that. And so knowing like your own self and then knowing the technique and then not having to rely on the other person to dictate the pace or to just completely take advantage of you, which is really easy to succumb to, right? Especially as a female, you know? Totally, totally. Because you go into like a protection mode too. Um, Like the amount of times where I've tapped gently um guys at the side of the head with the head kick right because mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I come from karate background I'm very yeah. good at kicking and like I'll tap them in the head and I'll be like oh shit you know like I'll, yeah, I'll they gonna react yeah I'll be like I'll tap them and then I'll go like we're still sparring is it sparring I'll, I'll be like I didn't you know you didn't just earn yeah. the right to clock me with an overhand yep. right yep. okay yep. okay buddy but yes like, that's scary it's scary and yeah. and, it, and like you said it applies so well to real life because it's like mindfulness on steroids you have to yes. be in your body on steroids right because mm-hmm. you've got to be so aware of your physiology and their mm-hmm. physiology and like noticing little things like their nostrils flared or like they they took a big breath or like okay now they're going to hit me or like no Noticing mm-hmm. myself like, well, now I'm going into rage mode. Yep. You can really apply that to your outside life. And like, we're starting to see see research backing that, you know, like some, some of my research and a friend of mine, Christy Hitchens, she did a similar research project and it showed that like the higher you get up in a belt break system, the less you tend to have like anxiety, right? Because you learn yep. to sit with your body. You learn to sit with these stressful situations. Mm-hmm. The more self-confidence you have, like the more self-belief mm-hmm. you have, um, the more hours you spend training per mm-hmm. week is correlated with your mental health. Like who would have thought? Wow. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's because we're in these like high pressure feels like for your nervous system, identical, life and death. That's how it feels. When you roll, mm-hmm. when you fight. fight. Yeah, exactly. And it gives you the opportunity mm-hmm. to, to reconcile with that and to sit with that and see how it sits for you because it's different for everybody. Some people get angry and like rage. Some people burst into tears. They are the, like identical. I, I'm tears. <laughs> I'm tears all the way. <laughs> if I'm angry, I cry. <laughs> like <Same. laughs> if I'm frustrated, I cry. Um, have you ever heard of Adeline Gray, the, the USA wrestler? No. She, she had an article, okay, that she um, came out with that said she had her response was crying, right? Mm-hmm. And she came from Olympic training center. And her coach was like, every time she would cry, he's like, I can't have this. Mm-hmm. Like, stop crying, right? Because she's like one of the only females on the mat. And so she went to her therapist and her therapist said, well, when you cry, do you stop training? And she goes, no, I just sort of just cry and train. (laughs) She's like, so what is your coach so mad about? Because the equivalent would be if men get frustrated and go punch the wall or have a temper tantrum. And suddenly that's okay. Like that, that's being like, yeah, he's so dedicated. You know, he just really cares a lot. Um, So that was just her response. And knowing that like some people are going to punch a wall and some people are going to cry, but the same um, underlying emotion of like frustration um, or, you know, just like that self-awareness, it's going to produce different results. And in her, it was crying and how crying is not a sign of weakness. Like it's okay. I literally was crying in the back because I went and I 
caught a kick, right? And I'm thinking, I did something right. Now I'm going to take her down. And she starts punching me in the face. And I'm like, no one told me that was going to happen, that this person's going to fucking jump on one leg and still continue punching me in the face. And so I got really frustrated. I'm like, fuck this, you know? But I had I had already committed to being one of the rounds for one of the girls getting ready for her uh, pro or UFC fight. So they're like screaming my name, like asking like where I am. So I literally like wipe the tears off, put my gloves on, get in the cage and end up choking the girl out. Um, and it was like this success story to the coach because look at, she was crying and then she still was able to do it. It's like, yeah, idiot, of course, because it didn't change my, my abilities. Um, it doesn't mean that like I I'm stopping or that I give up like, no, but what's awful about it is that I had to go the five minutes and this, like I submitted her within like the first two. And then right after she kicked me in the solar plexus. And that was my first time ever experiencing that. And Mm -hmm. only I couldn't breathe my whole, literally I'm like on all four, like just trying to find air. And the coach is like, we need somebody else. We need another body. They're literally just like pushing me to the side of the gate. <laughs> like, all right, this one's down. She's out. Someone else knew. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a fucking heavy learning curve, but he, he was like me using me as an example of like, wow, you know, look at her just so down thinking she can't do it. And like, no, I didn't really think that I couldn't do it. I was just fucking angry because I know I can do it. And I'm just not, I, ha- I don't have the right technique. I don't have the right coaching. I don't have this or that, but I'm missing. So I'm like, trust me, bro. Like I will fucking cry and deck you in the face. Like I will do it at the same time. Um, and also what you were saying about how the anxiety lessens is like, you know, the more experience when I, when I help people in competition, I always tell them, I'm like, you don't have to do everything, right? Like, cause obviously there's a lot in jujitsu and whenever your instructor is teaching something like maybe deep half or butterfly guard, things that maybe you don't really do, it's still good to know that someone else can do it to you, right? And just to have awareness of it. But also when you can be in a, when a, in a tournament and, and be in a situation and be like, I've been here before. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter if you weather the storm well in training, but just to be like, instead of, cause you know, when you're rolling, you just, you roll, right? You're just going, going, going. You don't, you don't have time to stop and be like, Hmm, what would my professor do here? Mm-hmm. And so you don't have that, but sometimes it takes you out when you're like, Holy shit, what are they doing? I've never seen this before. That's probably one of the worst feelings to have in a tournament to just not know what to do and feel overwhelmed. So I'm like, if you could tell yourself, you know, I've been here before, that is such an ego booster and like confidence booster because you're like, okay, well, I know I'm not going to die <laughs> if it's, you know, an anxiety thing, mm. or I know that, you know, like this is either, this is going to happen or this is going to happen. But either way, it's just that like, okay, I've been here before, whether I feel like I know what to do, like just keep going. Cause you know, you know, deep down, like what you're going to do. Yes. I feel like that was such a perfect circle around to what we spoke about at the beginning of this episode, which was that confidence is experiential, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, really like there's a lot of hype I think around self-talk and imagining imagining like what the fight's going to be like and all this stuff but at the end of the day if you haven't done the hard training like you haven't been in the posture before you can't lie to yourself like you're smarter than that you think you're like you think your brain is dumb enough to be outsmarted by you like it's Mm -hmm. you know what I'm trying it doesn't yeah 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 and it's like 
it's like with depression. You've got to get up. You've got to get up and do things. You can't sit mm-hmm. there trying to be like, okay, think positively. You can do it. Like Just that's smile. The, that's the hardest thing in the world because you've got to be on it 24-7, right? But yes. you could get up once for the day and then you've got a piece of evidence that's like, I'm a person who gets out of bed. I'm a person yep. who takes a shower. I'm a person yes. who eats, right? Yes. I'm a person who's been in that position so I know at least that I've survived it right? We are experiential beings. So you need to create experiences for yourself that prove the kind of person that you, that you want to be, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. Yeah. There's a, um, I'm going to butcher this so bad, but there's a poet and I Mm -hmm. found her on Instagram, you know, the short ones Yeah, and, um, fuck, I wish I could remember the full, the full, uh, poem, but it basically said like, I don't, fret like when the world feels like it's ending because the world has ended for me many times and begun again Um, yeah it wasn't exact I am just paraphrasing it was so nice it's such a good one because I'm like yes my anxiety my whole entire life has made me feel not like the panic attack of like oh I'm having a heart attack but more like every everything as I know it is is wrong or (laughs) everybody hates me you know I, I have this dialogue that gets to get stuck in my head and it keeps going. And, you know, someone looks at me and that's just their face. And I'm like, oh my God, they hate me. And now I'm like, no one wants me here. I used to work myself up and just go cry in my car when no one said anything, Mm -hmm. right. It was all, you know, just my imagination or just my interpretation of things. So yeah, I've been there or I've been through like legit tough things and, you know, the sun rises again. Right. So I know what it's like to have my own mind tell me that like I'm the worst human being ever. And I've also done things for myself and, and experienced things, wonderful things and accomplished great things. And I do things that I fear because of that voice that tells me that you fucking suck, you know, um, which is when I know that my depression is coming in. When I when I realize that I'm talking shit about myself, um, that's when I know that, you know, OK, we're, we're dealing with some depression there and we need to to work on it. Right. And address it. But that has always been something that I've been really keen on because I, I know that if it if left untreated, right, it's going to it's going to turn into, well, I can't go to training because I didn't go the past two times. And now everyone thinks I'm lazy or, you know, someone got someone passed my guard and now they just probably think I suck. And so like I'm never going to get my purple belt or whatever it is. You know, there's so many things we tell ourselves. And, um, it's just nice to know that like the experience of being there and, and knowing that like, I, I have a track record, you know, like I, I can look like on my wall, I have like seminar posters and stuff. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I taught 11 seminars in Australia. I could fucking do this paper to, for school, you know, it's, yes. it's important, you know? Yes. And it, it literally is. It's just like, if there was one like common theme of what we've been talking about today, it's it all just comes from showing up, like just yes. from doing. Yes. It's the easiest and hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I always say, right? Like I just have to go to train, you know, every, like if I say I'm going to train three times a week, I just got to go. Well, yeah, it's fucking hard when I'm like, oh my God, I, I just wrote like a paper for eight hours and now I have to go train at night and I'm probably going to be really sore. And, you know, I probably, maybe I won't even learn anything about, you know, it's like, nope, you just have to, you have to do now, think later. Um, and, and other little tricks that I've learned along the way of, Mm -hmm. you know, feel later about it, but just, you know, that you have to do it, try to just 
get through it even. And sometimes it ends up being a really good training day. You don't really know. And sometimes you feel the greatest and you go in there and and you just suck that day. Um, But both of those experiences are valid and very, very important because that's what life is. Like you literally, it's like a box of chocolates. (laughs) You don't know what you're going to (laughs) get to be um, quite American. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Oh, by the way, really funny side story. Um, So I was in Canada recently because my my boyfriend lives in Niagara Falls. Uh And then they, someone asked me like where I was from and for some reason, I just froze up because I'm thinking, do I say LA? Do I say California? Do I say, you know, the States? So I just froze and go, America. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, America. <laughs> they were like, oh, nice, lovely. <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. And then you're just like, thank you, nervous system. Like, come on, yeah. we're not going to kick in a little bit sooner yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I love how you, you always go back to like the science of it, which is funny because I, so I'm in grad school now for sport and performance psychology and like I did, I have an EMT, um, license and certification, but I'm not a first aid person. Like I'm not a science person. I would much rather be told a story about why I am the way I am rather than like, well, here's the synapse and then this goes to this and this axiom and this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's funny because like, I feel like you and I like would would work really well, like balancing because I'm the one that's more of like the storyline. And you're also great at that too, but you always go back to the science of it, which is, which I fully am aware that is important too. It's just never been my, my jam. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing, right? Like you said, like people were going in or you were going into people's gyms and they were like, you shouldn't make that face expression. You shouldn't talk mm-hmm. like that. Well, it's like, we're not um, copy paste versions of each other. And actually the way that I explain it maybe isn't like as good for this person as the way you explain it on this day. And like the, the variety is the spice of life is like such a cliche, but it's like, it's important for a reason. We're all different. We all respond differently. Our brains work differently. And what's amazing is, you know, doing this podcast with you and not even knowing you at all and being able to jump on and, and learn so much and, and, um, see that a lot of things that we've experienced are very different, but very, very similar just because we're both just little white girls, um, or females or, you know, combat sports athletes, you know, there's a lot going on our mental health advocates, things like that. So there's always that common thread. And I think that it, once you find that it, it definitely, it, it doesn't matter how small or tiny or short that thread is it's still the key and it can get bigger and stronger. Right. And, and like I always say with people in jujitsu, I'm like, you don't understand. I go to other countries. I do not speak the language, but I, you, you, you hit and uh, slap and bump and you roll and you, a tap is a tap, right? It's universal. They're very universal things or, you know, sp- sparring, right? Like you don't need words. It's just the martial art itself speaks for itself. And I love that. Absolutely. You know, like, the programs that I teach, like I specifically work with trauma survivors and we don't come in and be like, Hey, this is what happened to me. This is what happened to you. Right. We don't tell stories because we don't need to. Mm -hmm. We're in this beautiful position where it's a mutual understanding that everyone in the room has been through some shit. Right. And so when someone says, I had a win today because I didn't dissociate from my body. Like I stayed inside my body. I was not on the ceiling today Mm -hmm. and everyone else in the room's like, nice one. 
like totally yeah. normal. I think that to me is my perception of like what submit the stigma is moving toward. It's yes. like this mutual understanding that actually statistically so many people have gone through shit. So many people have anxiety right now. Pretty much the whole world has anxiety. Yes. We're living in a pandemic. This is a global trauma. Yes. And being like, okay, it's normal is just such a different feeling than when you feel like you're alone. You're the only Mm -hmm. person in the room Mm -hmm. who wants to run away and scream or cry or hit a Mm -hmm. wall or whatever your thing is. People always thank me for for what I do, for Submit the Stigma. And I'm like, you know, I feel feel selfish because I did this, you know, having my dad die from, from suicide and then making it um, a known thing. Like I remember coming home and dealing with it and going to a grief counselor with my mom and my sister. And I was always very transparent about everything that I did. Like people followed my jujitsu career. And I was always doing like, I had the pulling guard zine, like a small magazine. I worked for Gracie mag. Like I've always been part of the community and, and, you know, putting my path out there for other people to be like, Oh my God, me too. Um, but every time someone says that, uh, I can relate or anything like that. I'm like, Oh my God, thank you so much. Like I feel less alone. So I created a community for me first and foremost. And so people thank me for what I do by just talking about my own struggles. Like I've spoken outwardly about being suicidal because I lost my first match at worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and some people can't relate, but there's a lot of people who do compete that have put themselves in those, those positions. Um, and yeah, like you don't even need to relate to understand that, okay, that's, there's pressures and, um, you know, people deal with different things and being able to just say, yeah, me too. Like, or I can relate or yeah, I've been there. And of course, in jujitsu, getting mounted, getting submitted, getting your guard pass, all these awful things are just completely relatable with other people. And, and it's just, you, you feel like, all right, so it's not a travesty every time this happens. And you know, I can come back and do it again. And I'm not gonna like, just because I tap doesn't mean that I've given up, you know? And I think that there's so many like universal things and cliches that can, can kind of go along with that, but it's definitely fun to hear that other people have the same ideas and to know that, yeah, I'm not alone. This person's not alone. There was one time, um, a man had talked to me and said, yeah, you know, like I, I know I haven't been feeling that great, but I don't really want to, you know, bur- I don't want to talk about it with my family or anything, but I'm going to get help. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, if you don't let them know that you're struggling, then they don't, you don't give them an opportunity to help you, you know? And he was really hit by that because, you know, I mean, he was older. So maybe, you know, his generation, you don't talk about your struggles. You just, you, you man up. Right. And so just, he was like, wow, I never really thought of that, that I, that it's giving people that love me the opportunity to help me and care for me that I wouldn't otherwise have given them. Therefore I'm going to struggle and then they won't even know. And that's one of the most awful things dealing with um, a past suicide. When you Mm -hmm. don't know, you'll never know why, but having that um, opportunity given to me beforehand, if my dad had reached out to me beforehand, right? Like we always say like, oh, what I could have done or what I should have done. Um, there's nothing right. Like he made the decision. He was going to do it anyways. But if I had given that opportunity, I would have, yeah, I would have felt like I, I had contributed in, an, in a meaningful way rather than letting someone's mind rot until they feel that's the only option. So whenever I'm, I have the opportunity, when someone opens up to me like that, I always give them the benefit of the doubt. And I say, I don't, I don't care how many times people have 
either ignored your cries for help in the past. Um, if you have a support system, you need to let people know and you need to use it and make, make yourself available. Like that's, that's your burden, right? Cause people, you can't, you, yes, you have to reach for help, but sometimes all it takes is one conversation and that appointment that you were too scared to make, someone's going to make it for you. That ride that you didn't have to get to that appointment, that person's going to take you. Right. So there's so much kindness in the world that we sometimes forget about that. And just knowing that if you ask for it, if you ask, you know, you're much more likely to receive the help you need. So there's, there's a burden on, there's a duty on both sides, right? You have to, you have to be willing to get the help, but you also have to, you know, be a good person for other people. And that's how the world fucking goes around. Right. And I, I often tell people like, we're wired for selfishness and selfishness actually for, for our wiring is being part of community. And that means helping people. And what that means is when you help someone forget, if you even step back and forget the impact of that, right, that they would go seek help, that they might, it might save their life. If you just think selfishly about how it benefits you when you help someone, well, you get a big old dose of dopamine when you're in mission mode, like helping them. You get serotonin when you like connect over the fact that you help them. Like you get all these feel good chemicals Mm -hmm. in your brain that make you feel great, that make you live longer, that give you like all these health benefits. If you even want to think about it like that from helping people and innately people want to help because of that like those kind of things are what we're wired for so even thinking like oh it's a burden I think even the perspective like if you told me after this podcast like Georgia I'm like I'm feeling suicidal I really need to talk to someone like I actually just feel like I can talk to you right now when I help you I'm not going to be like like I've got shit to do like fuck like I'm actually going to be like this is when I'm available to help you right now if I'm not free right now and then Mm -hmm. the act of helping you is going to make me feel good too because right. that's what we are wired for. We are wired to help each other. Like people who don't feel good from helping each other are sociopaths. Yes. They're the minority. They are like the 1%. And, but we, we assume that like, that's what people think burden, but like the default thought is like, I want to help. I get to help. Thank God. Right. Right. Unfortunately in our, I think our generation, especially with technology and whatnot, it's like, we're overloaded, but also, you know, we we're overwhelmed. Like mm. we're, like millennials are expected to go to college, afford college, uh, somehow get this great paying job, but also care for kids that we are supposed to have and the relationships and also be saving for a house. And, oh, you can get a house if you just stop eating that avo toast. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> um, people are making jokes because the U.S. is in like so much debt and they're like, just stop having avocado toast and lattes. <laughs> um, and you know, we're, we have this, like, it just doesn't work the way it used to. And it hasn't fully adapted to it yet. You know, and it's like, we're, we know we're the generation that kind of like knows what it was like before and after. Mm. Um, and we're like in between because our parents are like, you should do this. And we're like, it doesn't work like that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then our employers are telling us one thing and whatever. So I feel like it's very hard to find time to help others. Um, but it's one of those things like exercise. Like for me, I find it so hard to exercise, especially during the pandemic, like on my own, because it's like, you have to go from sitting on the couch to like lifting a barbell. And I think about like, well, how do I do that? Like, like, do I like, and then like, I don't think about it when I'm warming up in class because someone's running the warm up, and Mm. I'm just like, okay, this is what we do. Or yeah, of course, when I get on the mat, I stretch, but when I'm at home and I'm thinking, well, this is where I watch TV. I don't think about like, okay, I'm going to warm up this way. I have to do this. You have to really motivate yourself to do it. 
And I think we have so we need so many reasons why we shouldn't exercise, right? But we have so many reasons why we shouldn't help others because we think, well, we should be, why should I help someone else when I could be helping myself? Um, but then we don't help ourselves anyways. So I think the act of getting over that hump and helping someone else in turn makes you care about yourself. It's really weird. Like mm-hmm. I remember, like when I, when I was growing up, like it was so hard to clean my room because I'm always thinking, overthinking it and thinking like, well, I may need that later on. Or you kind of go, I don't know where it should go. Should it go in the bathroom or should it stay in my room? Whereas you clean someone else's room and you're like, no, logically this should go here and this should go here. And you know, and you're like, that was so easy. I feel so good about this. Um, yeah. So sometimes it can be actually easier solving someone else's problems than your own, but it will give you the motivation to think, wow, I could have applied that same solution to my issue too. Yeah. We get like that experiential thing. Like sometimes it's so hard to call and book a therapist. You can be like, okay, I'm going to book it for someone else. Like, hi, I'm, yeah. here, I'm booking yeah, it for yeah, someone yeah. else. And then, and then you'd be like, well, yeah. fuck, like I just got to say yeah. a different name. That's the only difference yeah. that I could book it for me. So it's like, I, I, I could probably swing it. Right. I'm, I've been like 99% there once. So I could do the 1%. Yeah, exactly. I remember the first time someone offered to do that for me and I, and it was something huge. Like I didn't realize that I will, you know, our healthcare is a little bit different um, Mm -hmm. and a lot more shitty. So it's like, you have to go off of like your insurance. And if you're, you can only go to a certain doctor, but you can't go to a specialist doctor until you go to your family doctor and they have to sign off on it, but they can't just sign off on it. They've got to talk to your insurance company. Your insurance company has to say yes, all of these crazy things and all of these burdens. Um, And so when someone offered to do that, it's my mom, like my mom will do that for me if Mm. I need her to. Um, she's retired. She doesn't mind sitting on the phone, but you know, for someone to do that, just to, to, I didn't end up using him. Um, I was able to do it myself, but having him say that I was like, wow, I never thought that I could just simply do this, this task that has become huge for someone else. That is really not that bad, but I don't have the emotional stigma against it. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really easy to do that. And so sometimes I find the way to do things is to pretend that it's for someone else. Um, and to feel like I have no emotional attachment to the, like getting a paper done, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know I need to get it done, but then I'm like, but is it my best work? And am I in, am I in the right mindset to, to, to write great, you know? And it's like, no, the deadline doesn't care. The teacher doesn't care. You can get that shit done. So when I'm working on that, I just think like, I don't care. I don't, I don't have an emotional investment into how this paper is. I'm just going to do it the best I know how and the way that I've been taught with the capabilities that I have at this very moment, because that's all I can do. And that's exactly what I would tell someone, like, what can you control and what can't you control? Do that. Right. Um, And so, yeah, when you take the emotion out of it, and I'm a very, very emotional person. (laughs) So as we've talked about me crying and being angry and all these things, So it's very hard to take the emotion out of things, but once you do, and especially in, like you were saying, when you notice that you're, that, you know, you're breathing heavier, you're breathing out of your mouth and you realize that it's more of an emotional response and rather than like working on the technique, it's something that is huge. Like something that I did was, was counting to three every time I got into a position Mm -hmm. rather than worrying, oh my God, what if I can't control, what if I can't hold it down or what if I can't do this? And what if, what if I wanted to really get mount? But now they've trapped my foot and, you know, all these things. 
So I usually just try to stay where I'm at, like one, two, three, because in competition, you have to hold the position. Say, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. And so when I was rushing things, just because the other person was moving a lot, I thought, well, no, I have to separate myself from that person and not pick up their emotion. Being an empath, it's kind of like, you always just pick up on like, if someone else is nervous, I end up getting nervous. I can't help it. Um, and so I have to remember to like break that and remember that like, I don't have emotional investment in this. Even if I do, I have to pretend that I don't for that time being It's the same in competition. Like if I thought, if I think like some people are like, I just really want to win. I want to win so bad. And then they win because they wanted to win bad. I don't know. I don't know how that works because for me, the more I want it, the more I fuck up because the more that I put pressure on myself. So being able to perform is a whole nother thing. And particularly why I'm doing a degree in it is because I want to know like how to separate it and how to just keep it where it's just, you know, nope, this is just me doing a task and the task is going to be performed because I have performed it many times before. Um, and really making it that simple and, and making it not like an emotional thing in terms of, oh my God, I'm a failure if I lose. And if I win, I am a goddess. Like it's, it's very not much. That's not like that, you know? And even if you do think it is, it's not, <laughs> you know, people, people who love you are still going to love you no matter what. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish I knew the answer for how to like um, take your expectation of how you think you're going to go in a fight. You know, like every fight that I think I'm like guaranteed to win. I feel like I lose. And when it's like the opposite, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, 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 and yeah. it's so funny because people are like, you've got to really, really believe in yourself. And like, that's, what's going to get you there. Well, like, for example, my last comp, I lost like immediately in gi, which was like the main thing I was there for. And I had mm-hmm. signed up for no gi the next day. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll just like chuck my hat in the ring and like, yep, see how I yep. go. And I won. And I was like, uh, yeah, exactly. It was cause I, I had no pressure. I've always wanted to be a gi world champion. And I've gone on the podium like five times, but it was Nogi Worlds that I won. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even like Nogi that much. <laughs> yes. And it's because the pressure, the pressure wasn't there. It's like, instead of being like, what would my best self do? It's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because it's, it's not the fact that you have to do well. It's the fact that you have to do well at a, at whenever you get called to your mat, whenever, you know, your opponent is ready to go. The ref is at that moment, you have to be at your best, you know? And I realized, no, you don't, you just have to do what you know how to do. And I remember Marcelo um, had always said, you know, never worry about your second or third match also because uh, it's a bracket and Mm -hmm. you don't know who you're going to face. Even Mm -hmm. if it's like the world champion from three years, you never know what's going to happen. You can't plan on who you're going to face. And he goes, if you're so worried about the second match, you won't pay attention to the first. You have to give everything in the, in the first, because if you don't and you lose, you don't get another chance. You don't get the second fight. So like some people will think like, oh, I have to conserve my energy to be able to do it, um, to be able to go on to the next, you know, three more matches. Like, well, no, buddy, you're not going to have three more matches if you don't give everything to win this one, you know? So one match at a time has always been my, my, uh, like, I guess, grounding, um, Mm -hmm. statement to myself that, okay, I'm just going to take this round, see what happens. And I'll know more at the end of it instead of going, okay, it's, this is how it's going to go. This is how it's because it's 
fucking crushing when it doesn't go the way that you plan or the way that you hope. So yes, envisioning is important, but you know, cause you have, you have to see yourself there, but at the same time, like you can't, you can't, um, uh, apply ex- like what you're talking about is, um, your expectations. Right. Mm. And, and so I was talking to white belt recently and he was saying how, um, he thinks that a fight or like a, a role is like a conversation. And I said, kind of, kind of, um, but it's more like a debate, mm-hmm. um, because you are trying to impose your will. You're still trying to win. Sometimes mm-hmm. training can be a conversation. What do you got? Okay, cool. I'm going to do this. Oh, what do you got? What do you got? But when it comes down to a competition or like sparring role, and this guy's like never competed before, so he wouldn't really understand. I'm like, no, I'm going to use my best tactics to beat you. And you're going to use your best tactics to beat me. It's not really about what you do best because maybe I'm the kryptonite to that, or I have a good, you have to have multiple options, right? You have to attack from any angle. So it was really interesting to see him say that. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not really, buddy. It's not like that. <laughs> Go try yeah. to compete. And I think like what you said, like just getting through the first one is just like we were saying with like, just get one in a row, right? Just get up and go to training once and then go to training once. Don't be like, okay, I'm going to train 30 days, 30 classes or like some bullshit like that. That's a huge expectation. Just like get out of bed, just eat a meal, just have one Mm -hmm. shower, right? Don't Mm -hmm. be like, I'm going to have a shower every day. Just be like, just do one thing. And then that's like accumulates, right? You know, the only goal I gave myself when this pandemic started was to shower every day, mm-hmm. to make sure that I take at least one shower every day. Not that I normally don't take showers, but the fact that, cause when I was younger and I never left the house cause I didn't drive yet. And like all my friends, whatever, like I, I would just stay home during the summer when I didn't have class and I wouldn't shower for like three days. And mom would be like, you're disgusting. I'm like, I don't know. I'm a teenager. Like, leave me alone. But to know that like, no matter what, even if I'm not allowed to leave my house and I do not leave my house and I don't see anybody for days, that shower is, is key. And that's going to keep me feeling like a human being rather than being cut, like, you know, just hold up in my house where I feel like I'm, I'm not essential. Uh, I can't touch people and, <laughs> you know, like all these things that I'm used to doing, I can't do. So, um, to feel like a human, I was like, I gave myself that rule and I'm so happy to report that it's been good. <laughs> I've showered at least once <laughs> every day. Um, and so I, I think I kept the bar pretty low, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm succeeding so far. <laughs> I, I mean, I think for a lot of people who do sport, like in martial arts, that's actually a hard thing because you're like, well, I shower after I get sweaty, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, if I didn't get sweaty, why would I shower? <laughs> Sometimes I think exactly. that I'm like, well, I haven't trained today. What's the reason to shower? The only reason I shower every day is because I sleep in the bed with another person and yeah. complain. <laughs> I, I, I consider my bed like my sanctuary now. Like I don't, my, my boyfriend likes to fall asleep with the TV on um, mm-hmm. this past month. He was watching Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot of like, because I'm trying to sleep. Um, and every time I'm like, can you turn that down? He's like, oh, you know, and so I always make sure that like that is my 
my time, you know, I never realized how much rest and recovery were like that important until I started getting older. Like being 32 is not bad, but being 32 and having 12 years of martial arts experience of just, you know, it's like, yeah, my body's not as (laughs) equipped as most people. It's better off than people who sit in an office all day um, and don't move. But it's like, you know, to be able to continuously have output um, and give my all in training, I have to rest and I have to eat right. And I have to do all these things. And so the whole experience of people being like, well, it's okay. I only got three hours of sleep and I'm fine. It's like cool brag, dude. Like I got nine, I'm still tired, but I got nine. So my body is actually like ready to go. You know what I mean? But absolutely, yeah, like just kind of going off of the whole thing has been also balance, right? Just being able to, to balance the amount of, you know, output and input and the whole idea of like self-care filling your cup, right. Is something that is, is so important. And, and when you have to take time off of the output, when you don't, when you don't have as much output, you have to see it as having input mm-hmm. um, and being able to like recharge, recharge yourself. Because if you don't, and you, you, you're constantly running on fumes, you're, you're just going to end up hating life. <laughs> Yep. And you're going to assume that it's something that you're doing wrong um, or that you're not, that you're literally incapable of doing uh, when really you're just not giving yourself the, the opportunity. And, and so balance and recovery is super important. I could say, I could, I just realized that I could have gone off on another tangent, but we've been talking for nearly two hours and I'm like super yeah. mindful that you probably want to go to bed. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I got we're, just, we're, just, we're talking about the importance of sleep and I'm like, well, it's yeah. getting pretty late there. <laughs> that, that sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do what we say and know what we do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. No. Um, so if people want to share their stories or if they just want to get in contact, read the stories, where can they find you? Where are you on social media, et cetera? Um, Submit the stigma is the screen name or the username for the Instagram. We don't really use the Facebook anymore because no whatever. One Facebook. Yeah. We're always on Instagram. <laughs> um, so Instagram there, the email is submit the stigma at Gmail, but that's also on the, the Instagram. So that's the best place. Mm-hmm. If you want to read like the full story of how submit the stigma was started, then you can go to submit the stigma.org. Um, my personal handle is, uh, just at Aaron Hurley. So you can find me there. I'm always on Instagram. I think I talk more on Instagram than texting or anything else. So I'm always there to, to answer people's questions and to interact. Cause like I said, like I put my story out there and when people share theirs, I feel less alone. So it's not a burden for me to hear other people's stories and stuff. So, um, and we post them on the, the submit the stigma page and I haven't done that in a while. So I should probably be collecting more stories because I want to be able to keep it up. But if you read all of them, like there's a bunch on there and they're, they're really great and they're definitely not going out of style. So if you go from the first to the last, it's like reading like a poetry book. It's kind of nice. Um, yeah, it's like a feel good thing. And you realize that other people struggle, but also that they have found similar avenues. And if you're already training, then you're already headed in the right path that all of these people have gone on. And maybe it gives you a new perspective. Maybe it gives you just some validation or reassurance. Um, All of those are really valid and important things to have as a person who deals with mental health. Um, But also if you don't have a mental health issue and you just want to see how the other half lives, you know, that's always a a good one too. 
That's funny. When you said as a person with mental health, I was like, so you mean a person, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, wait, <laughs> pretty much everybody. But um, we don't like to say that. Uh, I, I kind of go like, yeah, mental health issues, mental illness, things like that. But but I realized that a lot of people go, nope, that's not me. That's not me. And then when I go, you know, when you almost hit the car in front of you and your whole body just goes me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know that like that can happen without an actual response that can just happen for the fuck of it. But you know what I'm experiencing and you know what I'm talking about? They're like, oh, you know, so, yeah, people don't need diagnoses to experience mental health issues. It could totally. be grief and it could be loss. It could be loss of a job, a pet um, a a lifestyle. It could be anything like different changes. Obviously the pandemic has been Mm -hmm. global. So we have had extremely relatable experiences from across the freaking globe, literally everybody. So, yeah. And I think, I think we're finally coming out like knock on wood, like we're coming out on the other side, um, of the pandemic. So I'm hoping that like people have learned this and have, have kind of, instead of being so divisive, and being so defensive, I guess, on your mm-hmm. views about things. It's more about seeing that common thread, like no matter how small and how insignificant it seems, it is definitely something that would keep people, you know, relating. And I think that's important and connecting because that's what we need right now <laughs> above yes. everything else. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. shapes me but me don't gotta tell you what my name is i don't gotta explain it walk in the room hear a boom erupting like i'm famous i'm here shedding shells i'm shameless i fear nothing no complacence Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one to power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection, I could see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle 
all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no, really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, whole record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, whole record it, huh?